0: The views and opinions expressed in the following program are those of Coal Investment Group and its staff. Kowal Investment Group is a registered investment advisor. Call
1: 262-522-4040. Welcome to The Retirement Clinic with your host, Jeff Kowal, from The Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialists. Good morning, this is News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome to The Retirement Clinic with The Coal Investment Group, the retirement specialists. Your host today is certified financial planner, John White. Welcome back, and good morning, John.
2: Good morning. Man,
1: we got a lot to talk about.
2: Yeah, there's never a dull moment in the markets, and for retirement planning, it's uh, it's a constant moving fluid situation. With regard to
1: headlines news, the SVP banking, uh, the closing of banks, right, and the- Those stories certainly play into your retirement plan. But before we even get to that, that is one of our topics today, by the way.
2: Yes, I would like to definitely discuss that. It's a very topical issue right now, for sure. Oh, by the way, then you add, we've
1: still got inflation, right, John? Yeah.
2: Yeah, inflation's still there. That's still a problem. It's running around 6%. 6% inflation. Okay, so, and then you
1: you look at your portfolio, and with markets somewhat being, would I say,
2: bearish? Yeah, you know, we've had a bit of a recovery from the pullback we saw in 2022, and uh, that's kind of where we are right now in this market cycle, for sure. Uh,
1: But concerning, for sure, challenging, for some might choose a different word, and if you're looking at a retirement plan and if you've got problems, well, maybe you need help and you need a certified financial planner like John White. There's the plug for the day. Uh, In these times, I think it is different than when everything was so rosy and we had a heck of a bull run,
2: John. Right. You know, 2020, 2021, uh, you know, apart from C19, uh, were really good years for the market. Very quiet volatility-wise, ex- except for 2020, of course.
1: I would say considering COVID,
2: yeah, it, it, yeah. Had, it was almost
1: shocking to some uh, how good and strong and solid the markets were.
2: Right. In 2021, the S&P had a down swing of 5% and finished the year up 27%. Then came 2022, the year that most people would just like to put behind them. And uh, here we are in 2023, and things are certainly looking up, but we still have some more obstacles in, in our way, that's for sure.
1: Well, hopefully we can you know spend uh, spread the cheer today and cheer up our listeners. It's our first show of spring, technically, John. Uh, later in the program, we have Aaron Kowal with the business owner segment. We call it the boss segment, business owners, savings, and security. Jeff Kowal, the founder of the Kowal Investment Group, will be joining us as well, and he's got some... Kind
2: of hot plate topics today, too. Right. He's going to be talking about inflation and just key parts of uh, the Secure Act 2.0 that got passed in January this year. So, Jeff,
1: Aaron Kowal, uh, John White is here in studio. And one more mention of the great folks at the Kowal Investment Group. We do the market updates here in WISN. And, John, that's twice a day during the Mark Belling Show. Uh, You give us, in a minute or so, a brief recap of the day's headlines. And like you said, there's never a dull moment.
2: Never a dull moment. That's why the Market Report is always brand new every time.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you follow us during the weekend. On the weekend, we get an hour to elaborate on what you do. The Cowall Investment Group are the retirement specialists. And today's st- the starting point is the banking problem uh, or issue or we'll call it what you want, John.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So starting with uh, the Silicon Valley Bank bank crisis, they're calling it. Uh, you know, it happened about two weeks ago now. And I just want to kind of address this because it's, it's a question I've been getting a lot from clients. I used to work for a bank. Um, I used to work for a community bank out in Oconomowoc. Uh, prior to that in New Zealand, I worked for a bank called... Uh, Kiwi Bank. <laughs> it was one of the only New Zealand-owned banks.
1: This, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here of WISN land, he's not joking. You lived in New Zealand.
2: That's right. I lived the there. The bank for was called years. Kiwi yeah. Bank. That's right. It was the only New Zealand-owned bank. Most banks in New Zealand are actually owned by big corporate entities in Australia. So, if you go to New Zealand, you're going to encounter Bank of New Zealand, which is actually an Australian-owned bank. That's,
1: <laughs> when did you move here from New Zealand?
2: Uh, I, moved, I moved here f- f- permanently in 2008. So, that's when, obviously, that oh, was a yeah. bad year for the markets, right? But it was a good year for me because I got married to my sweetheart, Erica. But There you go. Um, and, and you stayed in the States. I stayed in the States. Uh, and what an amazing place it is.
1: Uh, well, thank you, John. In New Zealand, I told you I've been there once in my life, was just jaw-droppingly beautiful.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it is. I was
1: cor- I, when you're on a cruise, they take you to the best places there is, right? There's the the waterfalls and stuff. Anyway, it, if you recognize the accent, it's from New Zealand. So, in this country right now, have you seen everybody? I think exaggerate. Even at word crisis, we
2: tend to exaggerate. Right. You know, the media, you know, does sometimes scare people. And I think, you know, headline. uh, Absolutely. It grabs your attention, uh, gets you maybe biting your nails a little bit and getting worried about things. And that's why we kind of have to deliver some common sense to all this. Um, Know the facts, right? Know exactly what's going on and give you objective financial advice is really what my job is, is to kind of, yes, there's headlines, but let's dive Distill them to what was really going on, and give you really good advice for your own retirement situation.
1: So we will begin with this story. The these two banks, SVB, we'll start with that one. That that stands for John.
2: That's the Silicon Valley Bank. Now, um, this is a comment I got from actually a New Zealand economist. His name is Tony Alexander. So I'll give credit where credit's due. He wrote a brief article just describing what happened there, and I'll just kind of read it to you um, and kind of cover some very high points. So obviously the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, started in 1983 and they specialized in lending operations to technology startup companies and they did a lot of strong business. Um, But during the pandemic, they took on a lot of deposits from technology companies that were doing well and they had more deposits than they know what to do with. And so what did they do with the spare money? They put it into fixed securities such as US government bonds and higher yielding mortgage-backed bonds. So, so far, so good. things That's what they should be doing, right? Yeah. But what happened in the United States was... um, In the United States, you do not have to mark your bonds to asset book value in the market. In other words, you don't have to record the losses on your bonds in the balance sheet. So what happened is the Federal Reserve last year, as we all know, raised interest rates incredibly quickly. In fact, the fastest pace they've ever raised rates since 1913. And of course, Silicon Valley Bank had losses now on their bonds because when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. This
1: definitely bears repeating. You just said the Fed's... Raise the rates at a pace not seen since 1913.
2: That's right. The Fed were caught kind of flat-fitted with all this inflation going on, and they aggressively hiked interest rates to get ahead of this. They
1: did it to combat inflation. Some would say, enough is enough. We need to stop hiking the rates.
2: Right. And now they're walking on a bit of a tightrope, because what do you do? Do you raise interest rates, fight off inflation, but if you do that, it's like slamming the brakes on the economy by making the cost of borrowing go up, which means it slows the economy down and you might put the economy into a recession. So they're kind of walking this tightrope of of trying to address inflation, but also not put the economy into a recession the tightrope analogy, their analogy is we're trying to soft land the economy, you know, yeah. liking it to an aircraft landing on a landing strip. Let's make this as smooth as we can.
1: Do, do the feds care how Wall Street reacts? Investors get skittish, obviously. You can see the markets on a daily basis drop sometimes a thousand points or more, John, on any kind of news right now. Uh, and if they raise rates... Usually, how do markets respond? But it's the overall picture.
2: Right. Because the Fed has a dual mandate. They want to keep inflation around 2%, and they want to have full employment. That's their mandate. And so, if Wall Street moves up and down a little bit, yeah, they'll look at it, but they're not overly concerned. They're really concerned about, do we have full employment? Is inflation contained? And so, you know, they're meant to be an apolitical institution. They shouldn't be swayed by politics or, you know, what corporate CEOs think. So they should be they, just they, looking at the they numbers. They
1: shouldn't, but right, yeah. everything kind yeah. of has a... An an ebb and a flow, doesn't it? That's right, exactly right. Uh, and, and even this topic, the banking uh, story that we're talking about with the SVP, it's not the it's not the market, the stock market itself. This is a bank,
2: right? And what and what happened is with all these bonds that they held on their balance sheet, um, because interest rates went up so quickly, these bonds lost a lot of value but they didn't record those losses on paper. The only time they started to record the loss on paper is when depositors started taking money out. Now, remember, these are technology companies that they're working with primarily. And what what really the treasurer of the bank made the big mistake is that they did not hedge their bonds uh, to a floating rate. In other words, they didn't buy basically contracts that would alleviate the pain of losses on their bonds. Had they done that, they'd be okay, but they didn't. And so what happened is, these technology companies were struggling with these high interest rates, and so they had to make payroll, they had to pay their employees, and so they came in and they started to withdraw some of their deposits. And of course, they weren't getting future growth because they're laying people off. The technology sector's been through a bit of a rough patch here. And as these deposits went out the door, um, basically what happened is, the banks started recording the losses of the bonds on the balance sheet because they're liquidating the bonds to pay for these withdrawals from the accounts. Now, of course... Uh, of course, interest rates just kept rising during all of this. And so the losses for the bank became so great that they decided it'd be best to raise an extra $2 billion in capital through basically issuing shares. But investors didn't want to buy the shares, and that started to raise whispers of, well, hold on, why is the bank wanting to raise capital so quickly? Maybe they can't meet their obligations. And these tech depositors, just kept these technology businesses just kept drawing money out of the bank. And what really ended up happening was a traditional good old Bank run, you know, like I th- you were talking about George Bailey. Before. It's a wonderful life. Right. Yes,
1: uh, George is just leaving on after the wedding for the honeymoon. George, right. I don't know if I've ever seen one that's
2: got all the makings
1: of a run on a bank. Yes, what exactly. does George do? He runs it, in the famous speech, right? The money's not in the vault right here. Your money's tied up in Ethel's house over yes. there, and George's. Is- uh, he's right. That's, that's
2: oh, how they operate. And you know, there were. I remember seeing a picture on, on on a website, and it was basically a couple of police officers in front of this uh, one of the bank branches. SVB. Yeah, exactly. So th- they're there, but you didn't see many lines, and that's why today in this world, you know, not not George Bailey's wonderful life world. No, the line People is with, on your it's on your phone. Bingo. About forty two billion dollars were withdrawn from the bank in about twenty four hours. Electr- electronically digitally, sleek yeah. it all got withdrew I mean how, withdrew. how do
1: you do I'll ask our listeners how do you do your banking uh, on your app not not everybody does or some do 75 25 split I, we do all of our banking on our on our right. apps. Unless you're getting a mortgage or something trying to go into the bank,
2: but it's just the way it is. And because everyone was demanding all their money at once, the bank had to sell the bonds for a loss. And it it wiped out the capital. In in a real quick fashion. Exactly. And, of course, in this world of Twitter and text messaging, I mean, literally some of these entrepreneurs were emailing each other saying, get your money out of the bank now. Yeah, word
1: spreads faster than it did during It's a Wonderful Life.
2: Absolutely. A- abs- no, a- no, it, it didn't happen to hundreds of banks. It happened
1: to only a couple, John.
2: That's right. So there's a couple of banks that really were affected by this. You know, Unfortunately, the equity holders got wiped out. Um, some of the bondholders were, were not sure yet what the likelihood out- outcome of their getting the money back. But ultimately, because of these accounting rules where you don't have to mark your losses on the balance sheet until they're actually needed, um, basically, uh, any bank that has about $250 billion or less don't have to actually do these kind of – these hedging strategies which makes the bank very susceptible to a run if this was a perfect storm of events basically is what happened um and so you know the depositors had their holdings uh up by us authorities of course the federal reserve and the treasury came together um and and just basically you know came to the rescue but it's not a bailout um of the banks owners like what happened in, in the great financial crisis of 07 um it was just the depositors made whole but the equity holders got cleaned out um, But of course, this is the sixteenth largest bank in the United States to have a bank failure, and that's the largest bank failure since two thousand eight. And investors are worrying that, um, you know, if people sell those shares of other banks, because you hear the word contagion, right? If one bank's going down, then how many liabilities of the bank does another bank?
1: I'm so glad you brought that word up, contagion, Mm -hmm. and that was mentioned for the. Well, you heard it every day for the last two weeks in the news, right? Regarding the banking, uh, if you call it crisis, fine. I think it's a headline. But right. who knows? It's people overreact to Wall Street news too, and some people get bail on their retirement plan when they maybe should have stayed put. Right. Right. Or make adjustments, John.
2: Right, and that's why the Federal Reserve and the Treasury acted so quickly because they want to contain this. I, I can't think of an analogy better than maybe a water pipe that sprung a leak. In this, in this case, the bank sprung a leak. And the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department came in very quickly to patch it up and to just basically tell the public, hey, it's okay, your bank's money's safe. Um, but now we have got a lot of questions starting to be asked. Like, okay, yeah, are these regional banks safe? You know, or is it just the big banks that are too big uh, to fail? A pipe you know? springs a
1: leak; it can do a little damage, right? Exactly
2: right. And so, but it can be repaired. Absolutely. And so, you know, the initial reaction was one of fear, which is obvious. Obvious. Whenever you see a run on a bank, people are going to panic. But at the same time, you know, I, I think the reaction from the Federal Reserve and the Treasury was trying to just show an indication to the general public, hey, this, this is contained. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're in a good better place now. Um, similar event in Europe just happened. Credit Suisse was acquired by Universal Bank of Switzerland, um, who was basically backstopped by the Swiss Central Bank. Um So there's a lot of stress in the system right now, and that's really what higher interest rates do, is they put a lot of stress- Globally,
1: too, not just the U.S.
2: Exactly right. They put a lot of stress on the economy by raising the cost of capital- and um, it, it can show in some places where you get a perfect storm, like Silicon Valley Bank was a yeah. great example. The
1: fear there was, and even I was thinking, is it a domino effect? All of a sudden this snowballs and then you've got a crisis on your hand. Are we then recession? The, the word depression was, in, was even mentioned in some news stories. So mm-hmm. is that. Exaggerating, I I don't know, John. Right, time, I mean, time will tell. it
2: happened at the end of the week, which is probably a good thing because the market was closed over the weekend, and that right. gave the regulators the chance to go, okay, over the weekend, let's come up with a with some sort of plans and policy in place to make sure that this doesn't spread and we get a contagion event. And the markets opened on Monday, and there was a little bit of a ruckus, but for the better part, the markets kind of settled down because you realized, okay, these depositors made whole. Uh, you'll hear the word FDIC thrown around a lot. Um, obviously, uh, the FDIC Insurance Corporation is, uh, will insure bank deposits up to 250000 Most people know that. What they don't know about FDIC is actually you can have a lot more than 250000 covered at just one bank.
1: You can spread your accounts around. That's they, right. Am I mistaken
2: in that? So, there's a two hundred fifty k limit. Right. But it's per legal ownership, which just sounds so boring, doesn't it? But really what it comes down to is it depends on the type of ownership. So, I'll give you a quick example. It's not boring when you're talking about losing money. Right. Well, that true. I want to know I'm insura- that is true. Insurance is a good thing. Well, well, I'll give you an example, right? So, Linda has all of her money at one bank. She has a savings account with her sister. It's a joint title ownership. Now, in that account, there's a balance of $300,000 and they have a 50-50 split. That means $150,000 is covered in that account. She also has a checking account with $75,000 in it. Um, She also has um, uh, a CD with $200,000 in it. So, Basically, when you do all the kind of ownership splits between joint with her sister in her own name with an IRA... I, I tally up her funds at just over a million dollars, and she has 710000 covered because there's different types of entity ownership going on And this on isn't
1: here. a sneaky way to do it. It's no, totally, perfectly
2: legal. Absolutely legal.
1: It's FDIC insurance. Again, up to $250,000. So That's
2: right. So in this case, because she has different titling going on here, like one's with her sister, one's with her nephew. I can probably go into this in a little bit more detail if need be. But... um It is really astounding. She has seven hundred ten thousand of coverage in just one bank.
1: John, these are. This is why you need to work with somebody that knows what they're doing, or at least know what you're doing yourself. Yes. Because there's ways to do it, and there's ways not to do it. I I don't think I've ever seen a two week period where more Americans learned about what FDIC meant than these last two weeks. Because you hear it at the end of commercials real fast, like those disclaimer: FDIC insured.
2: That's right, and the bank's got to be a member of the FDIC to get, to get that coverage. Which most banks are. Most banks um, are, but that's you
1: know. why you you hear the the little uh, tag at the end of these commercials, and now we know why. That's what it means. Absolutely. Uh, John, Two, you know what? We do have to break real quickly, but we've got Jeff Kowal coming up. In fact, he's going to talk about an event, John. I'll let you mention it quickly. It's about a month off, April 27th. It's a Thursday at 5.30 p.m., and it's going to be a panel discussion. And we can sign up on your website, John.
2: That's right. So go to thekowalway.com to sign up uh, for our panel discussion. That's going to be on Thursday, April 27th at 5.30. We're holding it at the Marriott Hotel in Waukesha off Highway 94, um, and Jeff and Joe, and um, we have a gentleman from Fidelity coming as well, and we're going to be talking about, you know, how will inflation uh, fix your retirement plan? And uh a lot more things than that. <laughs> nice event
1: to get yes. up and close in person, right? That's right. And meet the Cowal Investment Group. John White is your host today. Hey, stay tuned. Like I said, Aaron Kowal, the boss segment, Jeff Kowal coming up. After that, that's all next. And then the sexy segment. That's with John White on WISN. As the retirement clinic continues, their phone number 262-522-4040, or the Cowal Way.com.
3: Welcome back to The Retirement Clinic on WISN. I'm Aaron Kowal with The Boss Minute. Business owners, savings and security. It's about owning your retirement, not just your business. Are you considering selling your small business? Whether you're planning to sell soon or 10 years from now, one thing remains true. It is a difficult process that requires time and planning. There are a number of items potential buyers will want to see in order for the sale to go smoothly. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll examine these items and what you need to do to prepare your business for sale. Before you start talking to buyers, you will need to have your documents and information ready. This week, we will start with the business plan and financial statements. Potential buyers will want to see your business from an insider's view to understand objectives and goals from the operational, financial, and marketing perspectives. Your business plan should include an executive summary, company descriptions including products and or services, a market analysis, your marketing strategy, financial projections, and finally, your budget. Potential buyers will also want to see your financial statements. Be ready with tax returns, balance sheets, cash flow statements, accounts receivable, accounts payable, credit history, debt disclosure statements, and advertising costs. Tune in next week to learn more about the critical documents and information you need to have ready to prepare your business for sale. If you have questions, give our office a call today at 262-522-4040 or visit thecowalway.com.
0: Hi, Paul and John. Hi, listeners. I'm Jeff Kowal. Two quick things I wanted to touch on uh, this morning. One is on Social Security raising retirement age, and the other one is how inflation affects your retirement plans. Um, There is a lot of talk about uh, increasing your Social Security retirement age, and it seems reasonable, but here's why it isn't. That's a Barron's article. Uh, Despite assurances from both political parties not touching Social Security and Medicare as part of our debt, limit discussions there is a chatter about lawmakers with lawmakers about making changes to a social security program increasing social security full retirement age altering the benefit formula and establishing a foreign a sovereign wealth fund that sounds like a pool of money people can tap into nonetheless uh there are different options with uh, with regard to extending the life of social security One included indexing the Social Security retirement age, not the amount, retirement age to increases in longevity, reducing spousal benefits. I just wanna touch on on raising the retirement age. I think in particular, it's frequently touted as the solution, just raise the retirement age. When Social Security was enacted in 1936, The typical 65-year-old could expect to live another 14 years. Now, back up a little bit. In 1935, the life expectancy was 65, so that's why I thought they wouldn't have to pay it out very long. But then if you made it to 65 in 1935, you were expected to live only 14 years. Well, now it's 20 years. If you make it to 65, you're expected to live more than 20 years. The problem is that the argument has been that people are living longer, they should be working longer. That sounds reasonable on its face until you remember your middle school algebra and recognize that averages can easily be skewed. The fact that the increases in longevity have not been shared equally in the population. What do they mean by this? And this is where I thought it was really interesting and introspective or insightful. The highest income individuals in our society have experienced longevity gains the highest income earners in our society have experienced longevity gains, while longevity of the middle and lower earners has remained stagnant or even declined. Uh, An example of this is National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine estimates that for women born between 1930 and 1960, 1930 and 1960, life expectancy for those at the bottom of the earnings has actually declined by four years, while those at the top of the earnings distribution, it's actually increased by five years. So what they're saying is that if you increase the retirement age for Social Security, the age for Social Security, you're actually benefiting the wealthy, not the people who is intended to help. Social Security was to help uh, provide income. It was designed to replace a higher percentage of re- pre-retirement earnings for lower earners than for those of higher earners are more able to save on their own outside of social security. So I thought that that was really uh, interesting that longevity gains have come primarily to higher earners and not to the lower earners. And so increasing the social security full retirement age will tend to benefit those on the higher income earners, not the, not uh, wrong, not the lower. Okay. That's on social security. One last thing on inflation. I want to touch on that. Um, we're, and we're, we're offering a, a workshop at the end of April. I want to touch on that too. But how inflation affects your retirement plans with prices rising at a record rate, many retirees or people planning to retire soon may be increasingly worried about the standard of living, the sort of living they can afford. Uh, inflation was a high of 9.1%. That's come down a little bit, but your own inflation rate may be different depending on what you buy and where you buy it. Inflation is represented as a single number, but in reality, it affects everyone differently depending on how they spend their money. So regardless of whether retirees' expenses are more or less affected by inflation than workers, uh, higher expenses introduce additional risk to retirement plans. So if you're retired, close to retirement, or just thinking about retirement, no doubt inflation, has been on your mind so what does it mean to retirement inflation affects everybody but you can be especially vulnerable if you're retired those who rely on the kind of income resource sources once popular social security pensions withdrawal from retirement por- portfolios that's the main issue that's where uh, retirees get squeezed quite a bit um so you have to so what are what are things that you can do what inflation rate should you use? How does it affect your 401k plans and IRAs? Inflation affects a lot of things in your life, especially if you're close to or already in retirement. With that in mind, uh, Coal Investment Group is putting together a workshop on Thursday, April 27th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Uh, It's called How Will Today's Inflation Rate bust or benefit your financial life. So will today's inflation rate bust or benefit your financial plan, for financial life? Join us for a free panel discussion hosted by Dan Needles, a good guy, sports commentator, retired sports director at WISN. It's going to be at the Milwaukee Marriott West. Again, that's Thursday, April 27th, 5.30 to 7 p.m., we'll talk about inflation how it affects you we'll also talk about the three actions you need to take to proactively plan for the potential impacts of inflation on your financial and retirement plans uh, myself jeff kowal joe still mba f uh, crpc he's at the Kowal investment group and financial advisor with us i'm manish jane uh, portfolio manager at Zach's investment management hosted again by dan needles Um, Our advisors are uniquely qualified to help those with at least 750,000 investable assets. But this workshop is for everybody. Again, will today's inflation rate bust or benefit your financial life? Thursday, April 27th, 5.30 to 7 o'clock p.m. Hosted by Dan Needles. Go online at thecoalway.com. That's K-O-W-A-L, thecoalway.com. Or else call our office at 2625-224040, 2625-224040, Thursday, April 27th, 530 to 7. Uh space is limited. So uh give us a call. Now with that, uh we're gonna wrap up the this segment. There's more more uh show ready for you with John White and Paul Cronforst. Stay tuned for more with Paul and John on the retirement clinic. It
1: is time for the Sexy Segment. That music says it's time for the Sexy Segment on The Retirement Clinic. Welcome back. John White, your host from the Kowal Investment Group. This whole segment is about wealth management and preservation. Each week, a different topic, John.
2: That's right. So today's topic, we're talking about the advantages and disadvantages of revocable living trust. And, And what can you put into a trust? There's a lot of confusion on that. And also, what can't you put into a trust. Obviously, the main benefit of having a trust is to avoid probate. That's the biggest advantage of it, is placing your most important assets into a trust that can offer you a peace of mind, knowing the assets passed on to your beneficiary that you designate under the conditions that you choose in the trust. Uh, it's a drawn-out legal document between you and an attorney. Obviously, a disadvantage right away is it costs money to do this, right? I don't know of any attorneys that do this for free. Um, you're going to want to talk to a, a basically an estate planning attorney where that is their main main. Profession is just estate planning. You work with um, a
1: lot. We've had a lot on the show as guests. That's right. Because right. your estate plan is a big part of retirement planning and, and vice versa, really.
2: Absolutely. And these it's- are just guidelines, of course. I'm not an attorney. It's best to go speak with an estate planning attorney about this. But I know enough to be dangerous. And these are just general points of why most people should consider at least doing one. Um, obviously, reducing everything down to writing and, and getting a, a legal document in place drafted by an estate attorney Um, will help you avoid probate. Now, that's not to say that you can't avoid probate for everything. There will be some assets that simply have to go through a probate process uh, to make sure that they were meant to be handed over in the form that they were intended to. Simply
1: put the court system when you're right. talking probate. Right.
2: And and it's not to say probate is a bad thing either. With probate there's a court process. I mean, it's very very formal. So I think that is
1: an advantage of probate, to be honest. And it's in so it's public record as well.
2: Absolutely right. Yep. And so it is more long and drawn out, there is a lot of privacy lost by going through that procedure, but at the same time it is a procedure that is very documented and so there can be an advantage to that too yeah. um so what types of assets can go into a trust that's a question that we get a lot um obviously real estate is typically the first thing most people would put their house into a into a trust and title it that way um and it can avoid the hassle of separate probate proceedings for land, properties, and homes, uh, or p- homes that are owned outside of states. Um, obviously, if there's a mortgage on the property, you would have to retitle that as well into the name of the trust. i got to say, some banks don't like that because now you got to get new title work done and everything That's right. else.
1: And this is why you work through estate planning attorneys, though, because there is quite a bit that goes in. But most Americans do not have an estate plan, which would be a power of attorney, a will, or a trust. Right, absolutely. We're talking about trusts right now. Um, right. Once you get when there's a peace of mind, John.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's all reduced to writing. And you have this document stowed away in a, typically, hopefully, a fireproof safe. And you direct your uh, trustee or whoever is going to run the trust for you, to just tell them where it is. And, um, you know, when you pass on, they can grab those documents and basically have authority to act for on behalf of your estate. Um, obviously, uh, aside from real estate, what else can you put into a trust? Financial accounts, of course. Bonds and stocks. Stocks and close held hell corporations, uh, mutual funds, money markets, annuities. Now with annuities, I guess say uh, with an annuity, um, they already enjoy tax deferred treatment and transferring them into a trust might forfeit that benefit. So just be very careful with annuities. Um, CDs, um, however, if you retitle a CD early, it can trigger withdrawal penalty because you're changing the title of the CD. So again... And finally, safe deposit boxes can be put into the name of a trust. Really? Um, anything that you can grab a legal title to that's pretty straightforward, you can put into a trust. Wait,
1: okay, this is silly. Could it be a car? Uh,
2: yes, now good as other to words, cover uh, that. Items, physical
1: items that right. might have a sentimental attachment to.
2: So basically, with cars, what we see here is if it's a depreciating car, um, like an everyday car use, don't put that in the name of the trust. It, right. I mean, that's just a lot of title work, a lot of expense for a car that you're probably going to turn around and sell and get another car with in several years. Depreciating asset. Right. Now, if it's a collectible car, that's something different. Some cars retain their value and and, and appreciate over time. They're the things that are worth... Cons- they're the kinds of cars you want to put into a trust where you can transfer the title easily. Um, obviously, collectible cars are a bit of a thorny issue, but the f- better part is... Put them into a trust. They're appreciating value, not losing their value, like with just a regular everyday vehicle that you're using. And the
1: trust lives on even after I am gone, right, John? Correct.
2: That's right. So the trust uh, is executed on behalf of the trustee to wind up your estate and move the assets in a very efficient manner. Very quickly, I mean, within months, you can have all the assets dispersed the way you want to without having to go through mostly lengthy probate procedures that can take up to six months, maybe even longer. Oh,
1: COVID made the the court system, and I know not just probate, everything was Mm. delayed.
2: Oh, absolutely. It could take a long time to get the money. And so, um, obviously, besides trust, you can just add payable on death to a bank account, and that can circumvent the probate process in most cases. Um, Just making sure you have your beneficiaries On accounts, just doing an audit of everything to make sure it's done is very, very worthwhile. Um, And and know what
1: that accomplishes too, John? Everybody in the family is now kind of on the same page because it literally has been written down. Mm -hmm. It's in a trust.
2: That's right. And so- you know, another thing you might want to add to your trust is life insurance. Naming the, the, the trust as the beneficiary um, may come with some risks. If you're the trustee or revocable living trust, all assets in the trust are considered your property. And in this instance, life insurance proceeds are counted as part of your estate's worth and could be, a, it could create a taxable situation. That's why some people will use an irrevocable trust, which that's another another item where you literally don't own the asset anymore, the trust does. With a revocable trust, you still own the asset and have control over it. And in an irrevocable revocable trust, your control is basically gone. So
1: revocable, which I have, by the way, mm-hmm. means you can revoke things. You can make changes. Right. Change your beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff. That's right. Why would you choose an irrevocable?
2: Uh, you would typically do that if you're concerned I, from the way I understand a creditor claim. So an irrevocable trust um, it You know, the revocable trust under your Social Security number with an irrevocable trust that has its own tax accounting number. Got and it. so for a creditor to come after that asset that's in an irrevocable trust, they're going to have a really hard time because you don't literally own it anymore, so they can't go after it. I don't want to get too um, deep
1: in the weeds because we have only so much time. This is, again, why you need some sort of estate planning attorney or yes, help.
2: absolutely. And a um,
1: trust, once it's done, it's done.
2: Right, and it just requires updates after that because the law does change, court cases get decided on, and it can affect things. So, we just tell people every, you know, if there's a major law change, like the Secure Act that got passed, you would want to go back and re re look at your estate plan. And it might just be an amendment or two that's added to the existing trust, and you sign off on it, done. You're up to date with current, uh, basically, legal changes that have happened. Um, you can also put businesses in the name of the trust. There's a lot involved there, so I won't cover that too much, but you can do that. Uh, what cannot go into a trust? Retirement accounts. Don't put your IRA into a trust. Uh, you're going to want to avoid that because it will require taking income and it will be taxable. Um, obviously, if you have minor children, you could put the trust as the secondary beneficiary. And that would assume that, assume that funds transfer upon your death to the beneficiaries. um, Managed by a trustee because the children are minors.
1: And I know we, again, we're pressed for time. I got to ask this though. Mm. People might go, well, where does the money go in that IRA or whatever? It might be, it could be millions, right? Right. Just because it's not in the trust doesn't mean that IRA also has its own beneficiary listed.
2: Correct. You should be adding beneficiaries to your IRA for Exactly. Sure. So that's where it then goes. Yes. Even though
1: it's outside of my trust.
2: Correct. You just add the beneficiaries on, make sure you do it. Um, and again, I think it's worthwhile auditing things every once in a while to just make sure that everything is done. Um, health savings accounts, there's another account that cannot go into a trust. Uh, basically all the t- money that comes out of a health savings account is tax free if you're using it for medical expenses. Um, but it cannot be transferred to living trust. Um, obviously Upma accounts, uniform gift to transfer minor accounts, uh, where there's a, a minor ch- child who's the beneficiary, um, it could be potentially pulled into a probate process if the trustee were to predecease the minor. So consider instead using a successor custodian on these accounts. That's very common with five two nine accounts too. If there's a successor custodian, if some if the owner dies, uh, that passes on the successor custodian takes over the management of the accounts. And like I said before, vehicles, boats, trucks, motorcycles, um, snowmobiles—they <laughs> typically don't go through into a trust like, because like a pet, yeah. Exactly. They're not appreciable assets. Right. Um, and so, you know, you're, and it's, again, the, the cost of changing it and, and a lot of states do impose taxes when you're retitling these vehicles. Um, it, because they're depreciating in value, it might not be worth your money or your time to do it.
1: And you don't, you don't have to be significantly wealthy or the owner of many, many assets to have an estate plan. We should right. have an estate plan regardless of our wealth, John, right?
2: Absolutely right. And where I say a big one is when children become you know, when they're adults in the eyes of the law, once they're eighteen um, too often, they don't decide to do any kind of wills or especially health directives. That's a big one, right? Where if, heaven forbid, your child gets into a major accident, they're in hospital and they're now older and you don't get to make health decisions in their account because there's no health directive signed.
1: You, you must have that in writing. If, yes. Once they're an adult, they need at the very least a healthcare power of attorney. I'm right. pretty sure that's the entry point.
2: Right. And, you know, I just think people are intimidated by the whole thing. And it's understandable. You know, um, when I got my trust in, in estate planning affairs done, it, it was kind of lengthy. It was three appointments to get it all done. But it was well worth our time. It gave us peace of mind knowing that, heaven forbid, something happens to us, that, that the children are taken care of. That's right. That everything you, you is. You have going
1: kids, John, right? Right, absolutely. But at the very least, don't they say with children, you should have a will because that declares who's going to be the beneficiary?
2: That's right. Yep.
1: Otherwise, who decides? Right. The, the state the, decides. The courts? Yep. Yeah, court and the state, will decide. you're right. Yeah, so do you, you want
2: that? Right. So, uh, you know, I just think at a bare minimum, getting a, getting a will done, getting these powers of attorney done for financial and health matters is so important. And again, it's often overlooked. It's not um,
1: that costly, meaning it doesn't cost that much to get an estate no, plan done. No, it doesn't. And it does give a lot of peace of mind. Like, good. That's a, something we just checked on. It's like when you get your taxes done, don't right. you just feel good?
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, that's yep.
1: every year. This is a one-time deal. Yeah. Now, you do and can make changes. Like you said, a revocable trust. Any questions about trust or State plans you guys work really with many many good ones they've been on the program before
2: yeah we work with a lot of attorneys um, and you know it's a two-way street we ask them questions they ask us questions And communication is a very important aspect of that relationship. But making sure that our clients are being taken care of in an estate planning situation is very important. Because, of course, people pass on. And you want to make sure that every T is crossed and I dotted to make sure things go where they're meant to.
1: John White is here, certified financial planner hosting the Retirement Clinic. The Cowell Investment Group, the retirement specialist. Market updates during the Mark Belling Show that's Monday through Friday, twice a day, every afternoon. You know, what's the market look like? How how crappy is it today? And <laughs> is that a bad way to look at it? Then again, <laughs> some days I look up and it's green, right? And it's up 400. It seems like it's just so volatile. Well, in these times, call them what you will, inflation for sure. We talked about the banking issue at the beginning of the show. That's why you need somebody helping you out. Call the COWAL Investment Group, 262-522-4040, or check out thecowellway.com. Wrapping up the Retirement Clinic, thank you, John White, a lot covered today. They can always reach out to you at the many, many locations.
2: Right, we're in Racine, we're in Waukesha, we're in Port Washington, and it, obviously Jeff has his presence out in Arizona. It's great.
1: Heartland was
2: added uh, yes, recently. Yes, Heartland too, Heartland too. And uh, yeah, absolutely, it's been a lot of fun. And I uh, guess to quickly, you know, Tell you again that we have a panel discussion going on on Thursday, April 27th at 5.30 p.m. Register for the event at thekowalway.com, thekowalway.com. And we're going to be talking about inflation. We're going to be talking about whether or not it's going to help or or maybe not help your financial plan. And Joe and, and Jeff Kowal and I guess from Fidelity will be there to take questions. If it's going to be a great event. So, again, that's Thursday, April 27th at 5.30 p.m.
1: It's open to anybody. That's right. Anybody yeah. listening can sign up. COWAL is K-O-W-A-L, way.com Questions on retirement, call them, 262-522-4040. And of course, thanks to our wonderful host today, CFP, Certified Financial Planner, John White. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You too. And we'll be back next Saturday, 10 o'clock, the Retirement Clinic with the Kowal Investment Group, the Retirement Specialist. I'm Paul Kronforst. This is WISN.
2: mm <music>